Do you know there's over 100,000 people that go homeless every night in Australia? And of that, 38,000 are children. And uh, I found out that, that fact about... It sounded like a head, just on, on, on cue, children. Um, found that fact this year, 38,000 um, homeless every night. So uh, I wanted to do something about that uh, this year. So I'm participating in an event called the CEO Sleepout. Uh, and it's a, a national event held by uh, Vinnie's uh, with um, around about 100 uh, CEOs from uh, South Australia participating on Thursday the 16th, I think it is. So Thursday week, uh, we're coming together to go um, cold and sleepless, uh, but to raise awareness uh, of that. So um, I bring this to your attention for consideration. Uh, if you'd like to, to support me or uh, Vinny's in that, uh, you can do that through the CEO sleepout.org, uh, uh, which I think was up there. <clears throat> Why don't we pray? I'm feeling a little underdone today, to be honest, so let's pray. Lord God, we do uh, thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are sovereign. We thank you that you are just a, a great God. We thank you for this time of worship that we've had this morning, this time of coming and acknowledging your goodness and your greatness and your faithfulness. Lord, it lifts our heart uh, to sing those words of truth. Uh, we thank you for the community that we have here that we're not singing by ourselves, but we sing these words of truth in community with people standing around us. Lord, we thank you for your word. We know that your word is alive. And Lord, we pray for um, your word as it comes forth now. Pray that you would uh, just give me the words to say, but Lord, that you would prepare our hearts, uh, that you would help us to uh, take away what, uh, whatever it is that you want to speak to us today. Commit this time to you now in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> so I want to share um, a little bit about um, one of the things I uh, took away from the, the Four Cups uh, series. Um, in the Four Cups series, one of the, one of the things I've been really uh, stuck on or just studying the scriptures over uh, is, is that notion of we've, um, we've come out uh, of slavery, but we still have those... Um, patterns and habits of being a slave and uh, I guess it's that that struggle that's within us of um, being I'm going to liken it to being on a journey today um, and a bit like the the, the Israelites um, I would have hoped that the day I became a Christian I stepped into the full personhood of Jesus wouldn't that be nice uh, but, um, and I think it's Romans 7, uh, one of my favourite passages, you know, the bit about all the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do do. It always sounds a bit funny. Um, but uh, that passage in particular is one that resonates with me in that as much as um, my heart, my desire is to be uh, Jesus, I'm still battling the, the, the slave to sin that I, I am. And um, so that, that, that was the bit that really resonated uh, with me. So I want to um, unpack that a little bit uh, today. So I've titled this uh, message, Are We There Yet? <laughs> Are We There Yet? 
And I had a, I had a thought back to, um, I think I was sharing with someone during the week about um, how I find travelling to the Flurio Peninsula really frustrating. Anyone from the Flurio Peninsula? No? Good. I won't offend anyone. Um, but um, we used to go for family holidays. Uh, we would often go to uh, the Air Peninsula as well. Um, uh, lovely place in Smoky, called Smoky Bay, which is halfway between Streaky and Sejuna. Um, go there for family holidays. But any time you go to one of the peninsulas, it's one of those frustrating trips because it looks really close on a map. You know, just fly across the water, you're probably there. You could probably swim there in under an hour. But it takes you like four or five, or if you're going uh, to Smoky Bay, where we used to go, it was about an eight-hour trip. And um, I remember uh, fondly uh, the family trips because we, we were, I was one of four children. So you had that dilemma. This is before you had Taragos and people movers and things like that. So we would be four kids across the back seat until you could get the bench front seat, you know, the column shift, and then one of you were privileged enough to sit between mum and dad or not privileged enough to sit between (laughs) mum and dad. (coughs) But um, one of the things that I remember, it happens with our our kids now as well. Um, That's probably one of the, the most joyous things about being a parent is that you get to say to your children, you wait till you have children, and they do what you do to to me. Um, So uh, we would go on these family holidays, and, you know, we'd get in the car, and we'd be an hour out. We'd say, are we there yet? No. How much longer? About seven hours. You know, ten minutes later, are we there yet? Uh, My kids do this now. Uh, We go to Canberra, and my sister lives in Canberra, (coughs) and we head out um, over there probably twice a year, and, uh, you know, that's a long trip. That's 11, 12 hours. Uh, and we get this, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And um, even going to school now, it's only like 30 minutes down the, the freeway, but are we there yet? How much longer? And all the questions pertain to um, uh, they roughly know how long it is to get to school. So uh, yesterday we went to the park and they said, well, how far is the park? I said, oh, it's about one and a half trips to school. So that's how we measure it uh, now. But one of the joys (laughs) as a kid was sitting in the back seat and having mum and dad stop off at Port Augusta or uh, Wyala or somewhere like that and uh, get get two drinks, one for mum and dad in the front and one for us kids in the back. (laughs) And, and, And you know what happens when kids are in the back with one drink. So, you know, mum and dad have got the rule. Uh, two sips each. So when I heard that, I used to go into this cyclic breathing routine where you're trying to increase your lung capacity, waiting for that drink to come down the, the, the aisle and it would come to me and I'd get it. And by that time, I was, you know, in this deep breathing so I could go... <laughs> about four mouthfuls. Grab it again. And by the time it got back to my sister, there was probably none left. But... Um, that they were some of, some of the joys and some of the memories I had uh, growing up. And uh, it reminded me somewhat of, of, of this story of, um, you can imagine, are we there yet? We're on this journey to the promised land. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Um, and I, I realised that that, that journey is, is symbolic of the journey that we're all on. We're all on this journey of being transformed. And sometimes we can break that journey down to, to smaller trips, can't we? Uh, 
you know, some of us are, are waiting for a breakthrough or through a change in circumstances or delivery from a trial or, or, or whatever it is. And as a, as a leader, uh, I'm always on the journey of taking people here to there. And that's what leaders do. They take people on a journey from this place to this place. Uh, so, so much of our life is, is being on a journey. So, in the Four Cup series, I was really taken by that, that, that notion of um, slavery, staying within. How do you get rid of those behaviours? How do you... Um, and that was unpacked during the Cup of Deliverance. Um, in, the, in the early part of the, the Four Cups book, I, I really liked this passage about... Um, uh, Chris Hodges was talking about how the Christian journey is a bit like being a mountaineer, that you cr- climb a mountain and it's hard work and you get to the top and you go, that was awesome. And then you come back down and you go, wow. And there's this desire to want to climb it ag- again. And um, uh, unpacking that a little bit more, um, you, you build fitness and you build skills so that next time the mountaineer can climb a higher mountain, go to higher places. Uh, and I thought that was a, a great image of that journey of how we progress, that sometimes it can be um, frustrating, like you've gone, a bit like when you play uh, Snakes and Ladders, and you get, you're up to about, what is it, about 93 or 94, and you get that massive snake, and it takes you all the way back to the beginning. How demoralising is that? And sometimes we can fall into that, that, that trap if we're only looking at that particular trip rather than the larger journey. So um, this morning I want to uh, unpack uh, Numbers 11. So if you've got your Bible, open up to Numbers 11. If not, we're going to chuck some of it on the screen. Um, And I want to unpack this this notion of being on the journey uh, because the journey can be a difficult place. You know, we're we're all waiting uh, for something or hoping for something or praying for something or uh, on that trip... And that journey can be really difficult. And I want to unpack uh, some of the lessons from um, Numbers chapter 11. So we're going to start with uh, Numbers chapter 11 verses 1 to 6. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So that place was called Tabera, because fire from the Lord had burned among them. Verse 4, The rabble with them began to crave other food, and again the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. Once heard someone say, you should always read this with the, the whiny voice, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions and the garlic. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. I think that's really important. I think as believers, when we read the Scriptures... um, we need to put ourselves into the scriptures. One of the things uh, we're often uh, speaking to kids at school 
uh, is, is to put yourself into the story. Because one of our, our problems is that we, we, we see other people as two-dimensional, but ourselves as three-dimensional, don't we? Um, I was talking to Wendy before about, you know, lying. Well, liars, you're a liar. You're a liar. Am I a liar? Yeah, well, I am, but it's complicated. It's different. <laughs> um, uh, I only do good lies. Um, but that's the way we see people, aren't we? Uh, it's just that flat, two-dimensional figure, but we see ourselves as these three-dimensional, more complex uh, people. So place yourself in this story. And what they're saying is that we, we remember what it was like in Egypt. What I find fascinating about that verse, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. At no cost. I was in slavery at no cost. <laughs> what a strange statement. But the journey can be a trip of complaint. The journey can be a trip of complaint. We can fall into complaining when we don't feel that God is moving as quickly as we think he should. And even though they were in the desert place, with the miracle provision of manna, they complained. I'm sick of this. There's almost that line of, I was better off without you. I was better off in Egypt because they were eating manna day in, day out. Day in, day out. And there's a fine line there, isn't there, in that if I had to eat, uh, let's think, apricots. I remember apricots growing up. We had an apricot tree, so all we tended to eat was apricots, dried apricots, preserved apricots, apricot chicken, apricot strudel, apricot pudding. And I don't eat apricots anymore today. (laughs) Um, But it wasn't the only food that that we ate. But you could imagine if uh, you had to only eat one food uh, for the next 40 years. Wouldn't be... (laughs) Wouldn't be a lot of fun, would it? No, but uh, at the same time, we're not living in the desert. And um, one of the things I took away from this passage is um, to not lose sight of the miracle. To not lose sight of the miracle. In that, um, there's a couple of things. Firstly, that this manna appeared, and you might may recall that the word manna meant what is it? Didn't know what it was. But this was a miracle food that appeared. And it was also a miracle food in another way in that it gave all the nutrition that was required. It was a single source food that would nourish the people. That's the the, the second miracle of, of manna. But they complained. We don't want manna. We don't want manna. We want all these other things. We had it so much better when we were in Egypt. And the complaint starts. Um, last week, the uh, awesome awesome, as they were called, uh, Gina spoke about a Facebook um, uh, post, and I can't remember it verbatim, but uh, it was again just talking about the importance of who we associate with, the people we put around ourselves. And one of the things that, that strikes me uh, in this passage again is um, how complaint can uh, grow within community. 
and how uh, I can complain. And rather than taking that complaint to, to God, I share that complaint with you and then we get together and I feel better because I get instant gratification from you about my complaint. And uh, then I'll go and tell uh, someone else because, you know, they, they should know how, how bad my life is or how bad uh, this situation is or how, um, you know, the man is not cutting it anymore. Um, alternatively, uh, I often think in that scenario, if that, that first person who said, uh, I don't like manner anymore, <laughs> had a, a, a person that came alongside of them and to say, look, can't you see that, you know, God is providing there is this miracle provision. It satisfies our, our nutritional needs. We're not working for this. <laughs> you know, we got all this stuff in Egypt at no cost. We were in slavery. <laughs> uh, but, you know, they, they didn't need to go out and tend the, the soil or grow or wait for harvest or anything like this. It was a daily provision. Um, but wouldn't it, wouldn't it have been better or wouldn't it have been different had there been someone who actually... Um, you can just start to see the, the, the value of community again, can't you? And, um, you know, through the Four Cups um, uh, and throughout the history um, here that we've had has always been a, a focus on connect groups for this purpose. In that the intimate relationship of a connect group, you will have someone that will say when you start complaining, hey, cast your eyes out further. Help you to see it for what it is. But in the same way community can help in that way, it can hinder in the way that we see here. So how important it is to put people around us. So the journey can be a trip of complaint. Let's move on in our uh, passage. Let's move to verse 10. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. And then what every mature adult does. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. <laughs> and you, could, you can start to hear some of the desperation in, in Moses' voice and you can, uh, again, put yourself into that position. I can do that very easily. I can sit there and think as a leader... Um, uh, you know, there are times where the burden is too great. And I think we've, we've heard that from a few people uh, this morning, that, that life, is, life is tough at times. Life is tough and sometimes the the burden seems larger than the resource appears to be. I've had a, uh, a tough couple of weeks. Um, had to go away with Braden for a week. <laughs> Just thought I worked that one in. Humour's good medicine. Uh, we, um, 
uh, in the last week, had two um, significant uh, people pass away. Um, one, a 12-year-old girl, um, which is tough. And um, you know, as, as a, a leader of that organisation as well, it's, it, it, it breaks your heart. And I can only think um, at the funeral for this little girl, hearing her dad speak, my father's heart breaks for, for them and what they're going through. And, uh, you know, there are, there are people in our community, people in our church that are, are carrying burdens heavy like that. And the burdens can seem too heavy. And it, it's, it's not surprising to get to that place where we say, just, just kill me, <laughs> take me now. I can't carry this. I can't do this. That's because the journey can be a trip of emotional meltdown. And we see that and we hear that in, in Moses' words, don't we? Did I conceive these people? Did I give them birth? You tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant. Where am I going to find the needs of these people that I'm leading? I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. Please go ahead and kill me. <laughs> the journey can be a trip of emotional meltdown. And the thing I took a, a, away from this particular passage is firstly that that God cries out, uh, that Moses cries out to God. And I was challenged by that because so often, um, and this is, um, this is one of my frustrations with social media, is that we now cry out to social media. <laughs> we cry out to Facebook or we cry out to uh, everyone but God, but the person that can, can help me. Uh, but the person that will minister to me. Um, and generally the, the people that we confide in, that we share those things, are not the closest people that we've, we've got this intimate relationship of, of, of sharing a spiritual journey, but the people that are going to wallow with me and help me feel better about my wallowing. God heard. And God answered. God had a solution for the emotional meltdown. We go on to verse 16. The Lord said to Moses, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with, them, uh, with you there and I will take some of the power of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. See, the trip can be a trip for God's provision. The journey can be a trip for God's provision. And we see there the provision for, for Moses. He was filled for the task. The spirit was taken from him and placed on 70 people who will help him to carry the burden. He was a provider in that situation. At that point of emotional meltdown, God had a solution. And because Moses cried out in that emotional meltdown, God was able to respond 
and was able to provide. And it surprised me somewhat in that um, how quickly we can sometimes forget of God's provision. God was providing miraculously in the desert for around 2 million people, this manna. One of my favourite passages about the, uh, the provision um, comes from 1 Kings 19. Uh, and it's Elijah when he's running for his life. And uh, it says in verse uh, three, uh, 4, While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the bush and fell asleep all at once an angel touched him and said get up and eat he looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water he ate and drank and then lay down again and that's been a verse that's encouraged me uh, a lot as as a leader and as a a follower of Jesus in that uh, there are times where uh, the burden is too heavy and what I love about that passage is just the imagery. Can you imagine being in that place where um, you lay down, you sleep, and you wake up to the smell of baking bread? There's something about bread, isn't there, where you know, um, we're about to put a house on the market, and they said, right, you've got a coffee machine, you've got a, a, a fire, and if you bake some bread, you've got it covered. Uh, about filling the house with aromas but there's something about baked bread isn't there that just and I can imagine just being asleep and waking up a bit like we used to have with our bread maker you'd set it you'd be ready about six o'clock in the morning you'd wake up and you'd smell it and isn't it a wonderful picture of of God's provision in that it, it, it's multi-sensory multi-sensory in that you can see it you can touch it you can taste it you can smell it Maybe you could hear it, the coals perhaps. But, but it's just again filling all the senses of, uh, of um, Elijah in that case with, with God's goodness, with God's provision that you hear it and that you see it and that you smell it and that you taste it, the warmth of the fire next to him. And that's just a great passage. Uh, it's encouraged me often uh, of, of God's provision. So the journey can be a a trip for God's provision. If we move on, uh, verse 18. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five, ten or twenty, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? I love sharing that one with my kids when they don't want to eat their tea. And it seems uh, amusing until we read on a little bit further in the passage and pick up from verse 33, 
But while the meat was still between their teeth, and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people, and he struck them with a severe plague. Therefore the place was named Kibroth Hatabah, because they were buried, the people who had craved other food. And that word actually means the graves of craving. I struggle with this passage. <laughs> it was funny for a little while. <laughs> but I want to suggest that the journey can be a trip for God's discipline. See that God's people had a complaint. And I guess the first complaint was about need, that we're in the desert. Where's this food going to come from? Without food, we're going to perish. And God provided miraculously. Here's this manna, here's this what is it. And they ate. But they grew tired of that miraculous provision. And rather than crying out in need, they began crying out in want. And God heard their want, and he heard their want, and then he heard their want. And it angered him. Meat wasn't required. The manna was required. And as I was reading that, I was reminded of that passage that um, it's God's goodness that leads us to repentance. And just how that verse struck a chord with me again in that it's, our, it's his goodness and that state of constantly filling my mind and heart with his goodness that leads to a repentance. And had that been the case, this may not have happened. Had there been a focus on God's goodness, the want wouldn't have crept in. And I think perhaps God grows tired in this particular passage. You keep asking me for meat. It's not what you need. It's what you want. But now you're going to get me and you're going to get it every day. And Moses even questions, how will God do that? And there's this great, um, verse 23 I think it is, uh, God responds with, is the arm of the Lord too short? Is the arm of the Lord too short? And we know that later on um, a, a wind came into the camp and quail filled the camp. And people were, were, were gathering it up. Um, each person, 10 homers worth of meat. But while it was in their teeth, the plague came and many of them died. And it got me thinking again about how we often see God as a loving, merciful God, but we don't like to see God as a God of discipline somehow we've somehow we've we've lost what discipline is actually about discipline is pain inflicted for redemptive purposes and it's funny that we'll often commend a, a parent or an employer or, or or someone who is is showing discipline uh, football clubs when they take strong swift action on on people that have done the wrong thing but we often don't like to think of God as as disciplinarian 
But when we understand that discipline is something that is done in love, and we understand the redemptive nature of discipline, and we can see the redemptive nature of discipline in this case, we would be naive to think that we're immune from God's corrective hand. I know this is a, a, a narrow road and, and I'm not by any means saying that you know, the, the death of a loved one is a direct consequence um, or um, discipline. But it's something to think about. Something to think about in your scenarios. Knowing that, that God's got a redemptive plan for all of us. And that redemption can sometimes include discipline. Because God is a God of love and love disciplines. So there were four um, lessons that I I, I, um, put out of uh, Numbers chapter 11. And all these things come together, um, I I think, to to encourage uh, and to remind that the journey is a trip for transformational growth. It's what God is in the business of. That when you come to faith, you come to faith and God works you into a new creation. The Spirit helps and that journey of being transformed into the likeness of Jesus begins. It got me thinking that the Israelites wouldn't have been the first, wouldn't have been the same people from day one as they were forty years later, and for many of them they wouldn't have seen for those forty years. It's probably one of the things I love doing the most when um, uh, when at school we have uh, kids that are a handful, kids that are a struggle, um, and I do it with my own kids on, on occasions where. When you're facing this day in, day out, you don't tend to see how far you, you, you travel. But when you're actually able to step back and open your eyes to the bigger picture, you can see how far you've come. That journey is a trip for transformational, transformational growth. And we know that those hard times are the times where it's the greatest challenge, but it's also the time of greatest growth. I've shared before about um, a friend of mine who had um, prayed for many years um, for a husband, and she was married. And the week after her first uh, wedding anniversary, her husband passed away from a heart attack. And um, we were sharing the other day and I, I was just saying again how thankful I was um, that she permitted me to be a part of that journey with her. I really value that because I learnt a lot about grief and about the journey that she was on. I didn't have to experience that myself but by walking that journey with her, 
there are things that I were able to see. And we, we met um, a couple of weeks ago and she said, uh, as much as I wouldn't want to do it again, I'm glad that it happened. I was just struck by that. And, and, and you hear that often of people, don't you? People that go through really tough times. And you wouldn't wish that upon anyone. But there comes a point when they've, they've journeyed through. They get to that point where they go, there was some good stuff that happened in that journey. I don't, I don't want to do it again. But there were some, some good things that happened in that journey. There are great things that I learned. This fresh picture of, of who God is and what community does and um, the, the, the depths of, of grief, but also the, the depths of, of grief that the Father must have had giving up His Son. And there are all these lessons that you can pull from that change you as a person, change your perspective. The journey is where we're transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And last time I preached, I preached on uh, Romans eight twenty eight and 29, that in all things, God works for the good. Not in all good things, but in all things, God works for the good. And the good is that you are transformed, that you are conformed to the image of his son. So God uses the journey, uses the trips on that journey, to conform you. And as I was thinking about that, I was starting to think, oh, gee, well, that's a lot of pressure on me now. I have to be conformed. And uh, again, it's, it's the nature of sin, isn't it, that we want to do things without God. Now, you can trace that right back to the garden. Don't eat from this tree. Well, I want to eat from this tree. I want to know. I don't want God to know. I, I want to be in charge. And then I was reminded of that verse from Philippians 1 that tells us that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He has begun the good work in you. He will carry it on to the day of completion. Because the journey is a trip for transformational growth. Let's stand. Lord God, I want to thank you for your word. Lord, I want to thank you that each time we read your word, there are new possibilities. There are fresh insights to be had. There are new revelations to be had. And Lord, we thank you for the gift of your spirit that quickens those words to us. Lord, we're thankful for this opportunity to read through this chapter uh, again, to perhaps understand some new things about who you are, about who we are, the journey that we're on, the process that you are working in each of us. We're thankful, Lord, for your word that reminds us that you are sovereign, that you are faithful, that you are our Jehovah Jireh, our great provider, that you are a patient God, that you are a just God. You are full of kindness, that you're full of mercy. Rejoice in who you are.
Thank you for the gift of your Son who has secured our inheritance through taking our sin upon himself. Lord, we know that is done. That is secured. Lord, we're on this journey now in partnership with your Spirit, the gift that you left with us, the Holy Spirit, who guides us, who teaches us, who helps us while we're on the journey that you're leading us in. Lord, we pray that we would work in cooperation with your Spirit. Lord, that we wouldn't grieve your Spirit, but we'd walk in in step, in unison and partnership with your Spirit. Taking the fullness out of each scenario we find ourselves in. Thank you, Lord, that you're, you're always there. You long to provide for us. And Lord, we trust your word that tells us that you were working in us. You were working us into the image of Jesus. And you're committed to seeing that process succeed in our lives. Lord, we again surrender our lives to you. Say, take us and use us and shape us and mould us to be your people. That others too would know you and know your goodness. And we ask these things now in the wonderful and the powerful name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.